0: Ezekiel chapter 20, verses 33 through 49. God speaking, and he says, As I live, declares the Lord, surely with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and with wrath poured out, I will be king over you. He's speaking to the nation of Israel. I will bring you out from the peoples and gather you out of the countries where you're scattered with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and with wrath poured out. And I will bring you into the wilderness of the peoples And there I will enter into judgment with you face to face, as I entered into judgment with your fathers in the wilderness of the land of Egypt. So I will enter into judgment with you, declares the Lord God. I will make you pass under the rod, and I will bring you into the bond of the covenant. I will purge out the rebels from among you, and those who transgress against me, I will bring them out of the land where they sojourn. But they shall not enter the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord." As for you, O house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, go serve every one of you his idols now and hereafter, if you will not listen to me. But my holy name you shall no more profane with your gifts and your idols. For on my holy mountain, the mountain height of Israel, declares the Lord God, there all the house of Israel, all of them shall serve me in the land. There I will accept them, and there I will require uh, your contributions and the choices of your gifts with all your sacred offerings. As a pleasing aroma, I will accept you. When I bring you out from the peoples and gather you out from the countries where you have been scattered, and I will manifest my holiness among you in the sight of the nations. Excuse me, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I bring you into the land of Israel, the country that I swore to give your fathers. And there you shall remember your ways and all your deeds with which you have defiled yourselves, and you shall loathe yourselves for all the evils that you have committed. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I deal with you for my name's sake not according to your evil ways, nor according to your corrupt deeds, O house of Israel, declares the Lord God. And the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, set your face toward the south land, preach against the south, and prophesy against the forest land in the Negeb. Say to the forest of the Negeb, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I will kindle a fire in you, and it shall devour every green tree in you, and every dry tree. The blazing flame shall not be quenched, and all faces from the south to the north shall be scorched by it. All flesh shall see that I the Lord have kindled it, it shall not be quenched. Then I said, O Lord God, they are saying of me, is he not a maker of parables? What we're going to do tonight is I want to show you that this section that we're looking at here is a prophecy about the tribulation period, or also known in the scriptures as the time of Jacob's trouble. You'll see that later on in our study. There's some glimpses of the millennial kingdom and the blessings to follow, but mainly what Jesus is talking about, God the Father and Jesus the Son, as you know, the God and Father and Jesus the Son and the Holy Spirit all one. But what God is saying here through Ezekiel to the nation of Israel at this time is he's describing when he is going to, at the end of the, during the tribulation period, at the end of the tribulation period, gather the nation of Israel from where they've been scattered at the end of the tribulation period, bring them back into the land of Israel, and look at what he says in verse 33. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and with wrath poured out, I will be king over you. He pretty much says, I'm going to be your king, but I'm going to have to do it with the strength of my arm and with wrath poured out. Now, notice some word clues here that shows us that this is referring to Jesus' return in judgment and not his salvation through the church age. Can anybody show me? And I'll give you a hint. They're in verse 33 and verse, verse 34. What are some word clues there that show us that this is the time of Jesus' return in judgment and it's not talking about his salvation, his salvation through the church age? Right? Mm-hmm. Keep looking. They're in verses 33 and 34, it's, he says the same thing twice. With wrath poured out. As you know, we are not in the time of wrath. Actually, the wrath of God was poured out on his son at the, at the cross. And when we, who through faith, come to faith in Jesus Christ by receiving what God's offered through faith, we become His children, but it's because of His love. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Remember in Isaiah 61, Jesus reads from Isaiah 61 where it says, that The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, for He's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, open eyes to the blind. And it talks about proclaiming the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. But Jesus stopped right after proclaiming the acceptable year of the Lord. He didn't read and the day of vengeance of our God. The reason being, because that's not going to happen until his his second coming. And so he rolls up the scroll, sits down, and he says, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. Well, what I want you to understand is, is when he comes back and sets up his kingdom on the earth, and when he comes back and gathers Israel and saves Israel at that point, the church age will already be at an end. He's going to do it, though, with his wrath. Through wrath, he's going to be making himself king over them. And that's not how he does it with us in the church age. It's by his grace and by his love. Now, yes, even with his wrath poured out toward the Jews, it'll be grace because all salvation is by his grace. But at the same time, as you're going to see over and over, and I want to show it to you from prophecies, not just here, but also through other parts of the scripture, at that time, during the tribulation period, especially from the midpoint on, and the end of the tribulation, when he comes back, he's going to become king over the nation of Israel, but he's going to do it with a powerful arm and with wrath poured out. Go with me to Jeremiah 30, let me show you a few places that other prophecies that talk about this, and show you how that's not going to be a fun time for the nation of Israel. We think they're having it rough right now. They haven't seen anything yet, as you will see tonight. <clears throat> Jeremiah 30, look at verses 1 through 7. It says, The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Write in a book all the words that I have spoken to you. For behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will restore the fortunes of my people, Israel and Judah, says the Lord. And I will bring them back to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall take possession of it. These are the words that the Lord spoke concerning Israel and Judah. Listen closely. Thus says the Lord, we have heard a cry of panic, of terror and no peace. Ask now and see, can a man bear a child? Why then do I see every man with his hands on his stomach like a woman in labor? Why has every face turned pale? Alas, that day is so great, there is none like it. It is a time of distress for Jacob, yet he shall be saved out of it. So here the prophecy talks about the time that Jacob or Israel is going to be saved in the last days, but it's going to be a time of distress. It's going to be in such a time of distress that they're going to see the people themselves are going to be, men are going to be grabbing themselves because of the pain and the suffering they're going to be going through. And buddy, I've been thinking of that verse a lot over the last few days as I've been dealing with this tumor. But uh, go to verse 8, look at verses 8 through 11. And it shall come to pass in that day, declares the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from off your neck, and I will burst your bonds. And foreigners shall no more make a servant of him, but they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. And then fear not, O Jacob my servant, declares the Lord nor be dismayed, O Israel, for behold, I will save you from far away and your offspring from the land of their captivity. Jacob shall return and have quiet and ease, and none shall make him afraid. For I am with you to save you, declares the Lord. I'll make a full end of all the nations among whom I scattered you, but of you I will not make a full end. I will discipline you in just measure. I will by no means leave you unpunished." Again, we see that during this time that God's going to be saving Israel and restoring their fortunes. It's going to be an amazing time where he's going to be king over them and David's going to be the prince. And at the same time, he's going to bring, bring them back and they're going to live in the land at ease and at peace with no one to make them afraid. But he also points out, but it won't be easy in the process. I will make a full end of the nations around you, but I'm not going to make a full end of you. Oh, by the way, Um, But I won't leave you unpunished. You're going to have to go through the fire in this process. Go to Jeremiah 30 verses 18 through 24. Just jump over a few verses to verse 18. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will restore the fortunes of the tents of Jacob and have compassion on his dwellings. The city shall be rebuilt on its mound and the palace shall stand where it used to be. Out of them shall come songs of thanksgiving, and the voices of those who celebrate. I will multiply them, and they shall not be few. I will make them honored, and they shall not be small. Their children shall be as they were of old, and their congregation shall be established before me, and I will punish all who oppress them. Their prince shall be one of themselves. Their ruler shall come out from their midst. I will make him draw near, and he shall approach me. For who would dare of himself to approach me? declares the Lord, and you shall be my people and I will be your God. Behold the storm of the Lord. Wrath has gone forth, a whirling tempest. It will burst upon the head of the wicked. The fierce anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has executed and accomplished the intentions of his mind. In the latter days, you will understand this. So once again, in the midst of the prophecy that talks about the time when Israel's going to be restored and they're going to be back in the land and they're going to have these blessings and and God himself is going to be their ruler. Jesus is going to be there with them. In the midst of all those blessing promises, what does he then go on and say? It's going to be, though, through a time of wrath, it's going to be a hard thing. in, In the latter days, you'll understand this because they didn't understand it at that time. If you were to talk to the Jews at that time about the day of the Lord, they would all say, we look forward to the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord's going to be awesome. Because when the day of the Lord comes, He's going to come and set up His kingdom. They believed that He would come and set up His kingdom. Of course, they didn't know it was Jesus. But they believed that the Messiah was going to come and set up His kingdom. And they were going to have all those blessings. They ignored all the prophecies that talked about how hard it was going to be. Let me take you to the book of Amos, and let me show you exactly how the prophet Amos, God through Amos, Amos chapter 5, had to tell them, you you shouldn't be looking forward to the day of the Lord like you think. Listen to Amos chapter 5, verses 18 through 20. It says, woe to you, verse 18 of Amos 5, woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light, as if a man fled from a lion And a bear met him, or he went into the house and leaned his hand against the wall, and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light and gloom with no brightness in it? The prophet was telling the nation of Israel, you keep looking forward to this day of the Lord when the Messiah is going to come and set up his kingdom. Yes, that's going to happen, but I wouldn't be looking forward to it as much as you are because you don't understand how hard of a day that's going to be. And what did God say in our passage tonight? I will be king over you, Israel. I'm going to be king over you, but it's going to take a mighty arm and wrath poured out. Twice he says that. It's going to take a mighty arm and wrath poured out for me to become king over the nation of Israel. Now, if you go back to Ezekiel chapter 20, You'll see in the prophecy, though, God also promises to bring them out of all the countries that he scattered them and to bring them back into the land of Israel. And at that time, all of Israel will serve the Lord in the land. Now, we're going to take a little time to kind of clarify from Scripture what all means, because in this place here, all does not mean every single one, but the Scripture shows us that. So let me show you what I mean. Go to Ezekiel chapter 20. Look at verse 34. God says, I will bring you out from from the bring out you, you out from the peoples and gather you out from the countries where you're scattered. Now look at verse 40. For on my holy mountain, the mountain height of Israel, declares the Lord God, there all the house of Israel, all of them shall serve me in the land. Jump down to verse 42. I'm sorry, 41. As a pleasing aroma, I will accept you when I bring you out from the peoples, when and gather you out from the countries where you've been scattered. And I will manifest my holiness among you in the sight of the nations. Look at verse 42. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I bring you into the land of Israel, the country that I swore to give your father. So as we put those prophecies together, we see that at the end, he's going to gather them from all the countries and bring them back into the land. And all in the land are going to worship him. Every single person of the nation of Israel that's in the land will worship the Lord. But does that mean that every Jew will be saved? No. No. And we need to let Scripture show us that. There's a lot of people that try to say that just because they're Jews, that they're automatically going to be saved. Because there's so many prophecies that say that all Israel will be saved. In Romans chapter 11, verse 25, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. And then all Israel will be saved. And there are people that are out there saying that if they're a Jew, they're automatically going to be included. No, the Scripture shows us that that all are going to serve him. We're going to clarify in just a second that that all that are going to serve him can't be every single Jew. Because go back to chapter 20, verses 35 and following. And God says, And I will bring you into the wilderness of the peoples, and there I will enter into judgment with you face to face, as I entered into judgment with your fathers in the wilderness of the land of Egypt. So I will enter into judgment with you, declares the Lord God. I will make you pass under the rod, and I will bring you into the bond of the covenant I will purge out the rebels from among you, and those who transgress against me, I will bring them out of the land where they sojourn, but they shall not enter the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So when he's in the process of gathering them all from all the nations that they've been scattered to in the last days and throughout history, when he's at the very end bringing them all back into the land, does every Jew make it back into the land? No, he said, I'm going to have you pass under the rod. That was a shepherd type of a picture, shepherd term, where the shepherd, when the sheep were all coming back to the pen at night, he would have a rod and he'd stop them, each one, check them all out, whether they had injuries or whatever, make sure that they were okay. And if they were okay, they were passed on. If they were a goat, they wouldn't belong in there and they would be knocked away. And, and so as we know that there's going to be a separating of the sheep and the goats in the time of the judgment for before, before the Gentile nations coming into the millennial kingdom. At the end of the tribulation period, when God gathers all the Jews back, He's going to separate the righteous from the unrighteous. And that's why all the Jews, go back to chapter 20, verse 40 again, we see clearly, for on my holy mountain, the mountain height of Israel, declares the Lord God, there all the house of Israel, all of them shall serve me in the land. So, who's the all in this verse, according to the rest of the passages? All who are in the land. If they make it to the land of Israel at that time, that's the all that's going to serve him. Every Jew that's in the millennial kingdom, in the land at that time, they will be the ones who serve him. Now, I'm going to touch on this in a little bit. Actually, I can touch on it now. Obviously, even though the Jews are miraculously back in their land since 1948, they've not all been brought back from all the countries yet, have they? No, they're Jews still in many other lands. They're not all back. On top of that, the prophecies that we've just touched on tonight said that when they're all gathered back at that time, they're going to live at ease with none to make them afraid. Is that happening right now? No, it hasn't been ever since they've been back in the land. So even though they've all been brought back from the countries, they're not all back from the countries yet, and nor do they all worship the Lord. So what I want to clarify for you, and I'll show you from Scripture a little bit more to prove this, is... Too many people, and years ago when I was brand new in prophecy, I used to try to use these prophecies about, in the last days I'm going to gather you from all the countries and bring you back, and I used to say that that was happening since 1948. Well, guess what? It can't be. Now, I thank God for what happened in 1948, because... By the nation of Israel becoming a nation again and Jews getting back in the land, that set the stage for the last day prophecies to be fulfilled, as I'm going to read to you some of those. Because what I'm about to read to you couldn't have happened unless the Jews were back in the land. We're going to read about how in the last days, all the nations are going to gather to fight against Israel and the Jews in Jerusalem. Well, for almost the first 2,000 years of the church age, there was no Israel. Oh, there was an Israel. God knew where they were, and he had them all scattered. But they weren't in the land. And folks, I don't know how many of you know this, but no nation in the history of the world has ever been removed from their land for over two to 300 years and ever come back to live in it again and keep their language except one. And they were literally almost 2,000 years out of the land. The fact that they would ever come back again as a nation, and such a tiny nation that people have been trying to wipe off the face of the earth throughout the history of the world. I mean, we've seen it all along, all the way back, not just Hitler. You can trace it all the way back to Balaam. And, I'm sorry, Balak, who were trying to curse, have Balaam curse them and all this. The Jews have been hated by, by Satan for years. How did they become a nation again? By the miracle of God. But that is not the prophecies being fulfilled about the regathering in the last days. The prophecies about the regathering in the last days are going to happen at the end of the tribulation period because as you're about to see, even though they're back in the land, guess what's going to happen to them during the tribulation period? They're going to be scattered again if they're lucky. As you're going to see from Scripture, a lot of stuff's going to still happen to them. Remember, God says to the nation of Israel, I will be king over you, but it's going to take a powerful hand and with wrath poured out. And I'm going to put you through a time of judgment. you looking forward to the day of the Lord? You, you shouldn't. Because it's going to be a hard, hard time. Let me show you some of what I'm talking about. Go to Zechariah chapter 12. Zechariah chapter 12. <clears throat> Starting in verse 1. I'm going to read verses 1 through 9. Says the oracle of the word of the Lord concerning Israel. Thus declares the Lord, who stretched out the heavens and founded the earth and formed the spirit of man within him Behold, I'm about to make Jerusalem a cup of staggering to all the surrounding peoples. The siege of Jerusalem will also be against Judah. On that day, I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all the peoples. All who lift it will surely hurt themselves, and all the nations of the earth will gather against it. On that day, declares the Lord, I will strike every horse with panic and its rider with madness. Uh, But for the sake of the house of Judah, I will keep my eyes open when I strike every horse of the peoples with blindness. Then the clans of Judah shall say to themselves, the inhabitants of Jerusalem have strength to the Lord of hosts of their God." "'On that day I will make the clans of Judah "'like a blazing pot in the midst of wood, "'like a flaming torch among the sheaves, "'and they shall devour to the right and to the left "'all the surrounding peoples, "'while Jerusalem shall again be inhabited "'in its place in Jerusalem. "'And the Lord will give salvation "'to the tents of Judah first, "'that the glory of the house of David "'and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem "'may not surpass that of Judah.' On that day, the Lord will protect the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the feeblest among them on that day shall be like David, and the house of David shall be like God, and like the angel of the Lord going before them. On that day, I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. You understand how important 1948 is? Because this couldn't happen unless the Jews came back into their land and got control of Jerusalem And that's why the Bible said in the last days the nations are going to come against Israel and come against Jerusalem for the longest time because the Jews had been scattered. Like I said, for almost 2,000 years, prophecy people and Bible scholars for the first almost 2,000 years of the church age would read these passages and say, but there is no Israel. They're not in the land. It's Palestine and And the Jews aren't even there. This must mean something else. And that's where replacement theology came from, where they started to try to understand these things. And they'd say, well, Jerusalem must not mean Jerusalem. And Zion must not mean Zion. And Israel must not mean Israel. And so they tried to replace all that with the church. And all the things, it's the church, the church, the church. And that's why over two-thirds of Christians today don't understand or even believe in the millennial kingdom and Jesus coming back to this earth and set up his kingdom on the earth, that God's not done with Israel, the pre-tribulational rapture of the church, all these things that the Bible teaches because they didn't understand how in the world these prophecies could be fulfilled because there was no Israel in the land. And then something happened in 1948. And all of a sudden people had to go back to their Bibles and say, maybe God meant that when he said it. Go to chapter 14. Look at verses 1 through 3. Behold, a day is coming for the Lord when the spoil taken from you will be divided in your midst. For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses plundered, and the women raped. Half of the city shall go out into exile, but the rest of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as when he fights on the day of battle. So here we see a little bit more now. When these nations all come against Israel on that day, what's going to happen to the people? What does it say? Half of them are going to go where? Half of them are going to go in exile outside the city. Other half's going to stay in the city. But didn't we just read in Zechariah chapter 12 that when the nations gather against him, God's going to make the Jews like a blazing pot and they're going to just defeat everybody around them? Oh, eventually, but not right at first. Because as we've just seen here, there's going to be an attack on Jerusalem to the point, and I believe it's going to begin at the midpoint of tribulation when the Antichrist steps into the wing of the temple. I think at that point is when this is going to begin. But go back with me to chapter 13 of Zechariah and look at verses 8 and 9. Zechariah 13, verses 8 and 9, "...in the whole land, declares the Lord, two-thirds shall be cut off and perish." Talking about the Jews... And one third shall be left alive. And I will put this third into the fire and refine them as one refined silver and test them as gold is tested. They will call upon my name and I will answer them. And I will answer them, I will say they are my people, and they will say the Lord is my God. Now we got a little bit more information. We've already seen half of them are going to go into exile, half will stay in the city. But just prior to that, we saw in Zechariah 13 that two-thirds of the Jews are going to be killed in this attack. One-third is going to live. So when it says half is going to go into exile and half is going to stay in the city... How much of the original number at that time is actually going to go into exile? One sixth. One sixth will stay in the city, one sixth will go into exile. That's half of what's left, the one-third that's left. Some people are having a little trouble with the math. I'm not real good with fractions myself. But when you take two-thirds and kill them and leave one-third, and you divide that one-third in half, you've got one-sixth of them going into the wilderness, and one-sixth of them staying in Jerusalem during that time. And on that day, what's going to happen when Jesus comes back? He's going to turn those ones that are in the city into warriors like David. And they're going to win just because God gives them the power to do so. And the exiles are going to turn to him and they're going to be coming with him when he comes. Folks, but you see what he said, though? Two-thirds of them are going to be killed in the process and the one-third is going to live. And the one-third will be refined as silver and gold. They're going to be going through the fire. They're going to be, with wrath poured out, he's going to become king over them. And they're going to say, you are the king. And he'll say, yes, I am. And I'm your God. And that's when the millennial kingdom will begin. The number of Jews left will only be one third of what the number will be when this war happens. But that is the number that's going to serve him in the land. That's the number that's going to be saved. Now, I've laid this all out for a reason. Actually, many reasons. One, We really need to understand a little more clearly about the tribulation period and two it'll actually help us understand Matthew 24 correctly I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 24 because actually this is one of the most misunderstood chapters because people have for years again trying to read the church into it misunderstood what it was pointing to and I want you to see that in Matthew 24 when the the disciples come to Jesus and ask him about his return what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age he actually describes the tribulation period that we've been referring to. It's a seven-year period first three and a half years is going to be pretty good, although there's going to be some stuff going on in the whole globe, wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, and that kind of stuff. The Antichrist will have come on the scene. At the midpoint of the tribulation, if you remember our study of Revelation, that's when things get really, really bad, and that point on, they're going to get really bad, and that's when they're told to run, but I'm getting ahead of myself. What I want us to do tonight, I'm going to read to you Matthew 24, and verses 1 through 27. I want you now, as we read it, to just imagine Jesus describing the tribulation period. Don't try to read yourself into this at all. Don't try to read the earthquakes that are happening on the globe as the earthquakes he's talking about. Because I'm going to show you tonight from Scripture. That as much as they're increasing earthquakes on the globe, they're not the earthquakes that Matthew 24 is talking about. And I'm going to break a couple of things down, maybe three things down from this chapter in detail to help you really see it. And I can't wait to show it to you. So in Matthew 24, verse 1, Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple... But he answered them, you see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Now, Jesus is referring to what was going to happen in AD 70 when the nation of Israel was destroyed and chased out into the wilderness, out into the nations around. And the reason why they didn't leave one stone of another on top of the temple, on top of each other, is on the inside of the temple, the walls were just lined with gold, and when they burned the temple, the gold melted and started just getting into the cracks like in the mortar. And all the Romans wanting that gold took all the stones apart to get to all that gold after the temple had burnt because they wanted all that gold. So verse three, as he sat, Jesus on the Mount of, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives, disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there'll be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. We'll come back to that a little later. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is in on his housetop not go down to take what is in his house. Let the one who is in his field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days... Pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a sabbath for then there will be great tribulation such as not been from the beginning of the world until now no and never will be and if those days had not been cut short no human being would be saved but for the sake of the elect those days will be cut short then if anyone says to you look here he is here's the christ or there he is do not believe it for false christ and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray if possible even the elect See, I've told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. So when they said, what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? Jesus begins to describe the tribulation period. Do you remember our study of Revelation in chapter 6 when Jesus begins to open the seals on the scroll and starts to get control of the earth back at the beginning of the tribulation period? He opened the first seal and the white horse came out. What was the white horse? Antichrist. The Antichrist. Good for you, Jeremy. You just saved everybody having a Revelation study all over again. The white horse was the Antichrist. Remember, and what does Jesus say here? There's going to be false Christs. The second... The seal was opened and it was the rider on the red horse. And remember, peace was removed from the earth. And what does he say? There's going to be wars and rumors of wars. And then, then you open another seal and there's earthquakes and famine. Jesus is describing the seals. But look closely at what he says here. He says in verse 6, And you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there'll be famines and earthquakes in various places... All these are but the beginning of the birth pains." Now, some translations just say birth pains, but it's a better translation to say the beginning of the birth pains. If you study it in the Greek, it should be translated the beginning of the birth pains. Now, we need to deal with this, and this is gonna be a fun study for some of you if if you've not seen this before. When Jesus described the tribulation period as the birth pains, what does he mean by the birth pains? Now, he could have just simply been using a term to show that as painful as it would be, it's going to get worse before completion. Those ladies who have had babies, you know that when the birth pains begin, that's not as bad as it's going to be. It gets worse and worse until the end. And he could have just been simply saying the birth pains, meaning it's going to get worse until the end. But I don't think it's an accident. And I'll show you from Scripture. I don't think it's an accident that Jesus said this is only the beginning of the birth pains. Because when he says it in that way, I began to do a study and say, wait a minute, Lord, if you're saying this is the beginning of the birth pains, were there birth pains that you were specifically referring to that you had already told them about in the Old Testament prophecies? And I found out that there were many times, and I want to show them to you. Go to Micah chapter 5. Keep a bookmark in Matthew 24. But go to Micah chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 2. Many of us know verse 2 real well because it's always quoted at Christmas time but very few of us have ever read verse three and following. In Micah chapter five, look at verse two. It says, but you, O Bethlehem of Fratha, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. We all know who that is, right? Who was the king that was gonna be born in Bethlehem? Jesus, and he's always existed. That's what it means he's coming from ancient days. But look at what it says now in verse 3. Therefore he, the one who's going to be born in Bethlehem, shall give them up, this is the Jews, until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. So here we see now that the, the one who's gonna come and rule in Israel is at some point gonna give up the Israelites until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then, after that, the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he, this one that was gonna be born in Bethlehem, shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. Here we see the prophecies we've all been looking at tonight put together in one. But this isn't the first time that they mention the birth pains even. But here it clearly says that Jesus is going to give up the Jews until the time when she was in labor gives birth. Go back to chapter 4. Actually, we already had gotten previous information in chapter 4. Look at verses 9 through 13. Now, if you want to do an interesting study, go to my website and look at where was Jesus born because I dealt with verse 8 in that study. Some of you remember how Jesus wasn't born in a stable behind an inn, but he was born in the same place that the Passover lambs were born, at the base of the watchtower, the tower of the flock there in the outskirts of Bethlehem. And it's an amazing, fun study. But the Bible tells us exactly where Jesus was born. Go to my website, go to Messages, click on the Bible study that says, where was Jesus born? And and you'll have a blast. You'll you'll find the Bible come alive. But look at verse 9 and following. 9 through 13 it says now why do you cry aloud is there no king in you has your counselor perished that pain seized you like a woman in labor are you guys going into labor writhe and groan O daughter of Zion like a woman in labor For now you shall go out from the city and dwell in the open country. You shall go to Babylon. There you shall be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemies. Now many nations are assembled against you, saying, Let her be defiled. Let her eyes gaze upon Zion. But they do not know the thoughts of the Lord. They do not understand his plan, that he has gathered them as sheaves to the threshing floor. Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion. For I will make your horn iron, and I will make your hoofs bronze. And you shall beat in pieces many peoples, and shall devote their grain. Sorry, their gain to the Lord and their wealth to the Lord of the whole earth. In this time that we see that the nations are going to gather against Israel, they're going to run, but then they're going to come back and they're going to defeat their enemies. But how is it described in verse 9? Has pain seized you like a woman in labor? By the way, has anybody tonight said, wait a minute, that reminds me of a verse we already read tonight. Does anybody remember what we're talking about? It was in Jeremiah chapter 30. Go back to Jeremiah chapter 30, verses 1 through 7. In Jeremiah chapter 30, verses 1 through 7. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. Write in a book all the words that I've spoken to you. For behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I'll restore the fortunes of my people Israel and Judah, says the Lord. And I'll bring them back to the land that I gave their fathers, and they shall take possession of it. These are the words that the Lord spoke concerning Israel and Judah. Thus says the Lord, we have heard a cry of panic, of terror, no peace. Ask now and see, can a man bear a child? Why then do I see every man with his hands on his stomach like a woman in labor? Are you guys in labor? Why is every face turned pale? Alas, that day is so great, there's none like it. It is a time of distress for Jacob, yet he shall be saved out of it. You remember how Jesus said in Matthew 24, that day will be like none other? Jeremiah had said the exact same thing. Again, this is all talking about the tribulation period. So the first thing I want you to see from Matthew 24, go back to Matthew 24, is this. When Jesus said, when you see the wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes in various places and the Antichrist and all this kind of stuff, he said, look, the end isn't yet. It's just the beginning of the birth pains. And we know from Micah chapter 5, verse 3, that he, Jesus, was going to give up the Jews until the time when she was in labor, is given birth. And then the Jews will return. Now, there's a couple other things I want to point out real quick. I've talked to you about them before, but let me just remind you, look at verse 19 when it talks about the abomination of desolation in, in verses 15 and following, that's the Antichrist stepping into the wing of the temple, as, as Daniel prophesied. But in verse 19, Jesus says, Alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath. Now, are we in the church under Sabbath regulations? How do you know? You're supposed to say, because that was last week's study. You do remember last week's? You said that? All right, Janie, good for you. Janie, you get, Janie gets a point. It's, that was last week's study, all right? And on top of that, look at what he says. Pray that your flight doesn't happen in the winter. Now, as you hopefully know, the church is all over the globe, correct? That means if it's summer here, it's winter somewhere else on the other side of the globe. When I was doing basketball mission trips years ago, We actually would go to Guatemala and El Salvador, and we'd go on basketball mission trips in July and August, and buddy, it's hot. Well, one year, the basketball team that I went with all met out in Los Angeles, and we practiced in San Jose and met each other, because guys came from all over the country. We met in San Jose. We flew out of LA to Australia on a 14-hour flight to Australia. I I hope I never go on another 14-hour flight in my life. But when we got to Australia, there was snow on the ground in July. It didn't hit me that it's winter. In our summer, it's winter in Australia. It was shocking. So, if Jesus is saying, pray that when this happens, your flight doesn't happen in the winter, if he was talking to the church, he's telling the church to pray against each other. He's not talking to the church. This isn't, we're not to read ourselves into Matthew 24 at all. This is the tribulation period, the time of Jacob's trouble. This is the 77s were decreed for Israel and the people of the city of Jerusalem. The church age has been a period that God does a time where he's saving Gentiles and Jews who would, will be willing, but very few. But Gentiles, he's doing it to make Israel jealous, but that church age comes to a close. We're going to be raptured back to be with the Lord. And then there's going to be this time of distress on the earth where God will judge not only the nations, but also the nation of Israel. And he's going to be king over them. And he's going to gather them from all the nations. He's going to scatter them too in the last days. He's going to bring them back into the land and those that pass under the rod will be in Israel, they'll be at peace and at ease from that point on, none will make them afraid, and they all will worship Him at that point. We'll also get to come back with Him when He does that and rule and reign with Him all across the globe. But there's something else here in verse 14 that I want to point out, because it's another verse that has been misquoted and misinterpreted for many years. In verse 14, Jesus says, "...and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come." How many of you have heard preachers say, as soon as we get the gospel to the whole world, then the end can come? You ever heard that? We've all, haven't we? As soon as we get the gospel to the whole world. Well, let me just ask you a question first, and then I'm going to show you some scriptures that show that can't be the correct interpretation of this. Jesus is not saying, as soon as you get off your butts and get the gospel to the whole world, then I can come back. Because first off, if he's saying that the gospel hasn't made it to the whole world yet then that means there have been people in the world throughout history that never got to hear, correct? If the gospel hasn't made it to the whole world, there have to be people that never heard. Is that who God is? Of course. And the scripture shows us, I'm going to show you two places that prove the gospel's already made it to the whole world. So there has to be a different interpretation of verse 14. Go to Romans chapter 10. Look at verse 18. Romans chapter 10. Look at verse 18. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out where? To all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. This famous passage where people have said, well, how can they hear unless someone preaches to them? And all this kind of stuff, they took it reverse of what God meant it. All through this whole passage in Romans chapter 1 and following, Paul's been laying out the gospel which has been clearly preached throughout the law and the prophets all along, but salvation is by grace through faith in God's provision for their sins, and that everyone's guilty. And, and whether or not you've heard the law of God or not, you've heard it on, written on your hearts as he said in chapter 2. And in chapter 1 everybody's heard through creation. Everything can be known about God's been revealed to everyone without, without excuse. And when Paul says, how can they hear unless someone preaches to them? All that, what he was simply saying was this, God would never expect you to believe something he hadn't already told you? How does he expect you to believe something you had never heard of before? Oh, by the way, how can they hear unless someone's preached to them? And how can they ever preach to anybody unless someone sent them? Oh, and by the way, who's the one that sends? God. And then he answers his question, have they not heard? Of course they have. His word has gone out into all the earth. Go with me to Colossians chapter 1. It's even more clear. Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to start in verse 21. Paul says, "In you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, talking about us Gentiles, doing evil deeds, he's now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and which, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Folks, can it be any more clear than that? Has the gospel been preached in the whole world? Yes. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't still send missionaries out. We shouldn't sell people to keep telling, because people are being born every day, and people still need to be hearing in every generation. But don't think for a second that Jesus was saying, and then the gospel's finally gonna make it to the whole world, and then the end will come. That's not what he was saying. But that verse makes a ton of sense if you remember what I was telling you. Matthew 24 is referring to what time period? The tribulation period. Look to Revelation chapter 14 and look at verses 6 and 7. If you remember, in the book of Revelation, most of it is dealing with that seven-year time period on the earth as Jesus is opening the seals and dealing with what's going on on the earth. In Revelation chapter 14, look at verses 6 and 7. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people, and he said with a loud voice, "Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. And worship and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. At the very end of the tribulation period, there's going to be an angel that hovers in the midair and preaches the gospel to the whole world, all at the same time. And guess what happens next?" Jesus comes back. Jesus, when he said in Matthew 24, 14, and this gospel will be preached to the whole world and then the end will come, was referring to the angel that was going to do it. He wasn't putting it on us to help him get it to the whole world. You see how Matthew 24 starts to make a whole lot more sense when you realize he was talking to the Jews and describing the tribulation period. Now, as we start to close tonight, in the last 12 minutes we got left, I got to ask you a couple of questions here. Uh, One is this, go back to Ezekiel 20 and look at verse uh, 39. If God's purpose during this time is restoration of the Jews for his glory, why does he say what he says in Ezekiel 20, verse 39? He says, "...as for you, house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, go serve every one of you his idols, now and hereafter, if you'll not listen to me. But my holy name you shall no more profane with your gifts and your idols." If his purpose is restoration and having them come to become believers in him, why then does he say, hey, go worship your idols? They need to realize that need. Well, that's definitely a part of it. But in the context of what I'm going to show you, that's not quite it. Any other ideas? There's Nothing wrong with throwing out an idea. He's definitely given them freedom to choose, but there's even more to it than that. What I'm going to show you is a pattern in Scripture all the way through. I'm going to show you from Revelation and Ezekiel, not just here, but another place. I'm going to show you from Daniel and 2 Timothy that I found a pattern in Scripture that right before God brings his final judgment on any group, he's been offering salvation and grace and mercy throughout. But right before the final judgment, he goes, have at it. You've had your chance. Do what you're going to do. And I want you to see, because that's going to lead us to where we're closing tonight. I'm going to let you see that in this pattern, that's what happens. Go to Revelation chapter 22. Revelation 22, look at verses 10 through 13. In chapter 22, at the end of the book of Revelation, we see the picture of the new heavens and the new earth, and it's going to be pretty cool stuff. But the very end of it is one last offer. But look at what he says in verse 10. And he said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I'm coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Isn't that interesting? He says, Hey, let the wicked still be wicked. The filthy, still be filthy. The holy, still be holy. Go to Ezekiel chapter 3. Look at verses 26 and 27. If you remember from our study earlier, God tells Ezekiel, I'm going to make your tongue cling to the roof of your mouth so that you shall be mute and unable to reprove them for their rebellious house. But when I speak with you, I will open your mouth, and this is what you're going to say to them. Thus says the Lord God, he will hear, let him hear. He'll, he will refuse to hear, let him refuse to hear. But they're a rebellious house. In other words, there comes a point where God says, I've given you plenty of opportunity, plenty of opportunity to respond. Do what you're going to do. If you're going to respond, respond. If you're not, you're not. The door's closing. Time's up. Well, let me show you another one. Go to Daniel chapter 12. Look at verses 9 and 10. God says to Daniel, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. Now, Interestingly enough, though, look again at verse 9. He said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. He had been given prophecies and visions of these last days that we've been looking at. A lot of stuff we've hinted at came from Daniel's prophecies. The abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. But Daniel was curious about this. He said, when's this going to happen? How's this going to be? It's an amazing thing you've been showing me. And he was told the words are going to be sealed and shut up until when? the time of the end. Do you remember Revelation 22 verse 10 that we just read? John was told, because he wrote a lot of similar prophecies, don't seal up the words. The time is near. Folks, we're in the last days. We're in the last time period before the rapture of the church and the tribulation period is going to begin. We're in the very end of it right now. They've been going on for 2,000 years. We are in the last days. And if we've been in the last days for 2,000 years, don't you think we're pretty close to the end of the last of the last days? It's coming quickly, and listen closely. Whenever the time of judgment is about to come, God says, you've had your chance. Do what you're going to do. Do what you're going to do. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Look at verses 12 and 13. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 12 and 13 Paul says indeed all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse deceiving and being deceived We've seen a pattern here in all of these have we not the wicked are going to be wicked the righteous are going to be righteous and I want you to hear me as we close tonight I'm going to show one more passage of scripture We all hopefully understand that as we get closer to the return of Jesus and the rapture of the church and the tribulation period and the time of Jacob's trouble and all this stuff that we've been looking at, when he's going to come and set up his kingdom and be king over the Jews, as we get closer and closer, there's going to come a point where God says, you've had opportunity, let the wicked be wicked and let, listen, the righteous be righteous. Would we not agree that the wicked are going to get more and more wicked as the days get further on? The Bible also says, though, that the reverse is supposed to be happening as well. I don't know if you caught that in all these passages. Yes, the imposters and the wicked will go from bad to worse, but the righteous are supposed to be growing in their righteousness. Not to become more righteous. You've been declared righteous by God. But the manifestation of the righteousness that you've been given should be seen more and more and more as these days go. Because he predestined to conform us into the image of his Son. Those who are righteous shall shine brighter and brighter, the Bible says. So I'm going to ask you a question. I'm not asking, are you saved? I'm not asking, are you going to heaven when you die? I'm asking you, are the people around you seeing your righteousness increase? Not that you've been more righteous. You've already been declared holy. But I'm talking the holiness that you've been given. Is it being seen by the people around you in the same way that wickedness is getting worse and worse? And we watch the news and see it's getting pretty sick out there. But let me ask you, is your righteousness increasing? Is the evidence of Christ within you manifesting itself more and more in these days? Because the Bible says, if you have it, it's going to grow. That's why I can honestly look at you and say, if I have cancer because of this tumor that they just found in my body this week, it's not going to change anything. I have been living my life, and I want to, all the way through, if this is how God plans to take me home, I'm still rooting for the rapture myself. Hey, we're still planning a cruise in 2018 If He delays. I haven't given up on this life, but let me just tell you something. I have not all of a sudden started to rethink my life. I have raised my kids in such a way that when we sat them down yesterday and told them the news, each of their response was faith. Each of their response was Dad, you taught us that God's got this. As I shared with you at the beginning, he had already two years ago reserved this week on my calendar by booking me in Maryland and then right before I find out I have the tumor, that week in Maryland has been canceled. And he kept me from being able to have anything to do that week except be here and deal with doctors. He's got this. And my life with my wife is not going to change because I i am going to be living like I've always lived. I haven't lived for this world. Those of you that know me, I love to joke about going to heaven. I'm ready to go. I'm not suicidal. But Peter said, I'm ready to take off this tent. Remember how he said that at the end of his letter? Some of you got single wides. Some of you have pup tents. I got a two-man tent, but I'm ready to put it off. But if he chooses that the cancer is not cancer or the cancer doesn't kill me, I'm good that way, too, because that means more more reward in heaven. But I'm not living for this world. And so, folks, I'm asking you, as we get real close to the return of Jesus, is your righteousness, the righteousness you've already been given, being able to be seen more and more by the people around you? That's evidence of the fact that you're on the right side of that. The wicked will be wicked, and the righteous will be righteous. Righteous. Let me close. Let me show you what the scripture says about this. 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3 verses 8 through 13. Don't overlook this one fact, beloved. 2 Peter 3 verse 8. Don't overlook this one fact, beloved. That with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as one day. In other words, he doesn't measure time like we do. The Lord's not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he's patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved... What sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Look at that question he asked. He says, what kind of people ought you to be in these lives of holiness and godliness? I'm going to challenge you in however God speaks to you and however God reveals to you that you're to manifest it. Don't tell everybody else how they're supposed to do it, but how are you living so that you give evidence that this world is not what you're living for? Let the Spirit of God show you what you're supposed to do, and what that means. Don't let anybody else tell you, well, if you're going to really live for the next world, not this, you need to do this. Or No, no that's not our job to tell each other. The Lord will show you. But I'm going to ask you, are you living for this world? Are you living for the next Let the Lord show you that. I love y'all and we'll see you in two weeks.